0: church Bible. Psalm 119, we're looking at verses 81 to 88. Well, before I read God's Word, just by way of introduction, I was listening to Al Mohler's the briefing on Tuesday of this week. And in this episode, he spoke of the death of Rabbi Harold Kushner. Uh, the rabbi wrote a book entitled When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And this book became a bestseller. Moeller says it led to Kushner becoming the most famous rabbi in the United States. And Moeller described how the influence of this book it was not limited to Judaism, but many people were greatly influenced by this book. Moeller says they found Kushner's book to be strangely seductive. Kushner lost his son to an unusual and yet devastating genetic disease. And so in coping with his son's death, he wrote, it becomes much easier to take God seriously as the source of moral values if we don't hold him responsible for all the unfair things that happen in the world. And so at the heart of Kushner's teaching is that human beings are basically good, and we deserve good. And if anything bad happens to us, well, that's wrong. God means well, but he is not responsible, for he is not in charge. He is not the creator or the sovereign Lord. What is missing from Kushner's book is the need for redemption. Mueller says redemption requires a sovereign God who is able to do what he sets out to do and accomplishes what he purposes. And that means God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. That is only possible. That promise is only true because God indeed is omnipotent and he is sovereign. And so it is important that we have good theology so we know how to suffer well. Good theology helps us to suffer well, and that comes from knowing God's word. And we'll see that in our passage this evening. So let's read God's word, Psalm 119, and we're going to read verses 81 to 88. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, When will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The pride have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth. But I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, the last three weeks we've been studying Mark chapter 13 in the evening. Mark 13 speaks of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, but also the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's in this chapter Jesus prepares his people for tribulation. You are to be ready for persecution and suffering. But how do you handle tribulation when it comes? And it doesn't even have to be tribulation, it could be simple difficulties and trials in your life. How you handle the small things is how you will handle the big things that come to you. And so, this psalm is applicable whether you're going through big or small difficulties and trials. So, I want you to notice in times of desperation, when you are completely spent, turn to God's word. And be revived, because Christ is the word. And so it is in him that we know his loving kindness. So firstly, notice in your desperation, cry out to God. Spurgeon describes this portion of Psalm 119 as the midnight of the psalm. This is the darkest moment in Psalm 119. And you can hear it clearly from the psalmist's words. Just consider verse 81. My soul faints for your salvation. In the ESV, we read, My soul longs for your salvation. Now We all find ourselves longing. Children, you long for your next birthday. Teenagers, you long to be when you're 16 so you can learn to drive and experience independence. The couple who are engaged, they long for their wedding day when they can be together. Well, the psalmist is longing here and he is longing for his trial to be over. The psalmist is ready to collapse. He's feeling weak. He's worn out. He can't keep going on. My soul speaks of his spiritual well-being. So this trial is not only affecting him physically, but it's leaving him spiritually exhausted. As a result, he's longing for salvation. He wants to be rescued from this calamity that he is in, And the oppression that he's under. Verse 82 My eyes fail from searching your words. His eyes are exhausted. Well, some of you students, you've just finished your finals, and maybe your eyes are failing you too. You spent so much time reading, cramming in information, that your eyes were hurting. Well, the psalmist here is studying God's word, he isn't able to get the answers he wants, he is searching. Do you ever find yourself searching for something? Maybe a lost piece of mail or an email in your inbox. It can be exhausting. You can spend a whole morning searching for it. Well, the psalmist here, he is ravaging through God's word, looking for words of comfort in his desperate state. The eyes are also often described as the window of the soul. Well, through this window, we see weakness and we see tiredness. In the Sama's soul. Verse 83, he describes how he has become like a wineskin in smoke. Now, this is an unusual illustration for us today. We don't use wineskins to store wine. Today we store wine in bottles. And so these wineskins, they are leather bags, and wine was stored inside them. And to bring out the flavor, they would have gently warmed the bag above a fire. But the result was that it dried out the leather and that the leather then became shriveled and blackened by the smoke. Maybe a better illustration for today would be like a pot plant. that You forget to water. very soon, the soil is dry, the leaves become shriveled up, the plant looks dead. And in our desperation, we can feel like that plant. We badly need to be revived. Verse 84, the psalmist asks, how many are the days of your servant? The psalmist here is questioning how can I keep on going? How long can I do this? How many more days of this life will I have? It's a question we often ask ourselves how can I keep going? I'm at the end of my limit. In verse 86, we see the shortest cry, help me, it might be the shortest. But it sums up the feeling of the psalmist, like a drowning man barely able to shout out help before he sinks under the water. This is where the psalmist is at. Do you feel like you're also drowning, feeling overwhelmed by grief or anxiety or loneliness? That is the description of the psalmist. It also describes Job, it sounds very similar. Job 16, verse 8. You have shriveled me up, and it is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face. Job went through intense suffering. He was overwhelmed. He needed to be revived. And maybe it describes you too at this time. You've gone through difficult times. And I know a number of you are going through difficult times in your life, whether it's health, whether it's family problems, whether it's work difficulties, whether it's loneliness. Even if this psalm doesn't fit you exactly right now, this psalm will help you when you will next suffer. It will be inevitable. It will help you even if your suffering is minor. Remember, you need to have good theology of suffering so you know the right way to respond. Well, the first thing you must do, just like the psalmist, cry out to God in your desperation. Well, secondly, do not be surprised to face trials from this world. In our passage in Mark 13, Jesus warned us to expect trials from this world. So you're not to be surprised by persecution. Our natural instinct is to want to run away. When we see something unpleasant, we turn from it. When we're forced to do something difficult, we look for an easy way out. But the psalmist here, the psalm here, is forcing us to deal with reality. You are to prepare for it. But you should not see this as torture. Instead, this is like the safety information at the start of an airplane flight. It helps us to be prepared in case of emergency. Likewise, this psalm teaches us how to prepare when we face affliction. This is God taking you by the hand, teaching you how to survive when tribulation comes. This is not this false idea that bad things won't happen to good people. No, it's quite the opposite. But God prepares you for it so that your faith remains intact. He will enable you to get through it. So don't be shocked by persecution. Instead, prepare for it. In the psalm, verse 84, the psalmist is being persecuted. Verse 85, we read they are digging pits for him to fall into, which is not according to God's word. They are persecuting him wrongfully in verse 86. Sometimes we are being persecuted, but we bring it on ourselves. Our behavior is not above reproach. That's not the case here for the psalmist. It is unjust. These pits are to bring him down. He's facing discrimination or unfairness, or injustice of some kind. Now, the psalmist can seek justice in this world. It's not wrong to do that. We see the Apostle Paul do that when he makes an appeal against the treatment he received since he was a Roman citizen. But ultimately, we find our justice in God. That's why the psalmist cries out to God to judge those who persecute him. While this world may not recognize it, He knows that God is just and that he will deal with justice. And God's justice will be evident on the judgment day. That's why we long for Christ's kingdom to come, that he would judge your enemies. In God, there is perfect justice. In digging pits for the psalmist, you are to see that he is being set up. These enemies, they hate God and so they hate God's people, they hate the psalmist. Their desire is to make God's people stumble, and we can see the hatred that the world has for God's people today, and so it shouldn't surprise us. John, in describing God as the light, says in John chapter 3, for everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Peter describes the world's reaction in 1 Peter 4, verse 4. They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. The world thinks we are strange. The world hates us. This this was clearly seen in the life of Daniel. Daniel was so distinguished from all the other men of influence in Darius' court that he was given power over the whole kingdom. Well, this invoked jealousy by the other men in the court. They sought to bring Daniel down, but they could find nothing to charge Daniel with. He was so commendable. However, they did realize that Daniel would prioritize his faith in God, even over his service and loyalty to the king. So they came up with this plan that no one, is to pray to anyone unless they are praying to the king. And so they dug a pit, and Daniel, they set Daniel up to fall. And while Daniel fell into their pit, he remained faithful to God. And we see how God protected him from the lions, ultimately rescuing him. And We see the same today with issues like abortion, or gay marriage, or the transgender movement. Christian politicians are mercilessly destroyed if they hold to a contrary view of society. In Sunday school, we were talking about this the other week, where Bernie Sanders was interviewing or interrogating Russell Vought, who is a Christian who appeared before the Senate Budget Committee. Sanders repeatedly questioned him about his view of Muslims and are they condemned because they reject Jesus Christ. And Vought very graciously replied that he is a Christian and that Christ is central to Christianity. And after this continual back and forth, Sanders summarized that this nominee is not what this country is about. What Sanders was asking had nothing to do with what's role in the Senate Budget Committee, and yet it was used to try and bring him down. But it's not just politicians. All Christians are placed in impossible situations, Where the threat of being cancelled by friends or family is now very real. If you do not demonstrate that you hold to the same beliefs as them. This is the case for the psalmist. In verse 87 we read that they almost destroyed him. Whether it was his life, whether it was his reputation, we don't know. But the psalmist faced destruction. Maybe that's the same for you. No wonder you feel completely hopeless. So, what should you do? Well, thirdly, go to God's Word. The psalmist is not hopeless. In verse 81, we read that my hope is in your Word. This is striking, for even though he is going through this traumatic experience, he has not forgotten God's statutes, as we read in verse 83. Verse 86, he finds God's word to be faithful. God's word is reliable. Now, when you uh, take a flight in the UK, you often experience uh, going through these dark, grey uh, clouds that are full of rain. But then, above the clouds, there are there is blinding sunlight. It's beautiful blue skies, and you wouldn't think the sun is shining when you're on the ground, but it's when you go up into the sky. There you see the sun is always shining. That is the faith that that the psalmist has in God's word. So even though his world is falling apart, he feels like his life is being taken over. There's one surety. That is God's word. So just as the sun is always shining, so God's word is always reliable and faithful, even when it doesn't appear to be. Verse 87, I did not forsake your precepts, meaning he was obedient. Even in his suffering, he remains loyal to God's word. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the test of discipleship. Ash writes this painful picture of the deeply suffering believer watching and looking with his whole being for the rescue promised in the word of God is the shape of authentic discipleship. This is faith in God. You might not see or understand what God's purpose is in your suffering, but you still have faith in him. You know he will deliver you. And this is what liberal theologians struggle with. They cannot understand how a good God could allow suffering, and so they undermine him by saying that he must not be sovereign. But in doing so, they weaken God. And a weak God does not inspire your faith in him. You now the psalmist recognizes in the previous section of Psalm 119 that God in his faithfulness has afflicted him. He also recognizes that it is good for him to be afflicted. So in your suffering, in the persecution that you're facing, take on this mindset that God is at work in your life. Rather than lacking hope, have hope that God is up to something. David Powleson writes that you find the hope and encouragement of Christ in your troubles. His goal is not simply to make you feel better. He has a much deeper purpose. You are to receive. You are receiving a dynamic gift that you can bring to other people in whatever troubles and unhappiness they experience. Their welfare and yours are knitted together. So sanctification is not really interested in making you a better individual. God is making you into a person who is more connected to others, joined to Jesus Christ and to all his other afflicted people whose center of gravity is also shifting outside themselves. God is at work in your life, so you can better minister his word to others. Along the coast of Ireland, there are many life rings or life buoys that you're to throw out to those who are struggling in the water. And these floating devices will help them survive if they hold on. That's true of God's word. You're to hold on and you are to encourage others to hold on. Hold on to the promises in God's word in your struggles. Jai Packer writes, Western Christianity has become superficial and shallow. We do not give ourselves time to soak ourselves in Scripture. And stunted development, which includes an undervaluing of the Bible, is the unhappy result. We need to be clear, other things being equal, it is Christians who eat up the Scriptures on a regular basis who are likely to achieve most for our Lord Jesus Christ in the future. Just as it was for, just as it was Bible-fed Christians who achieved most for him in the past. Throughout this psalm, the psalmist, he continually goes to God's word. And so in your suffering, that is where you find hope. Well, fourthly, find life in Christ's loving kindness. Verse 88. So as we noted in verse 87, they almost made an end to me. The psalmist's life was nearly cut short. But in verse 88, we read that the psalmist is asking to be revived. In ESV, he's asking, in your love, give me life. He can't do this by himself. He can't rely on his own strength. No, he recognizes that life comes from God, and God gives it according to his loving kindness, according to his grace. He has confidence in God because of his word. Ash writes, If I hold on to the precepts, I will be rescued by the promises, for they are the same word. And that's because the word here points to another word, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. John says, In the book of John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word because he reveals who God is and what God is like. And so when we look at Jesus, all the guessing games about God stops. God makes himself known through Jesus, who himself revealed in the Bible. Barry Cooper writes, Jesus himself repeatedly points to scripture. The word points to the word. At the same time, scripture points to Jesus. Again, the word points to the word. Jesus himself is explicit about this when he says in John 5, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And so the word testifies of Christ. And so as we sing the psalm, realize that you are singing about Jesus Christ. As you go to God's word, as you hold on to the promises of God's word, you are in effect holding on to Christ. That's why Jesus was so frustrated with the religious leaders of his day. They knew their scriptures, but they would not allow the scriptures to bring them to the one whom the scriptures constantly speak of. As Cooper writes, they want the word, but they do not want the word, Jesus Christ. In our day, the opposite is the problem. We want the word, we want Jesus Christ, but we do not want the word. We do not want the scriptures. We want Jesus, but we don't know what, he ha- what we do. We, we want Jesus, but we don't want to know what he has to say and that's what liberal christianity does in suffering it's happy to have jesus as a good example as one who's a good teacher but his act of redemption they completely ignore they remove most of the bible because they don't want to recognize sin they don't want to recognize that they're not worthy of god's love and kindness But in doing so, they lose the grace of God and the power of God in suffering. And in suffering, you're left with no hope and no salvation. That's not what we find here in our psalm. Instead, we can know God's love and kindness. In him, we find life. So be wary in your suffering to minimize God. No, instead, in your suffering, exalt God and trust him In times of desperation, when you are completely spent, turn to God's word. And so be revived, for Christ is the word. In him you know his loving kindness. The book of Job speaks clearly of God's sovereignty in suffering. And Job is forced to know and recognize this truth. In Job 42, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes." Well, Job has been humbled by the suffering in his life. He's lost everything, his livestock, his servants, his family, even in his health. But he has learned in his suffering to know God. He continued to have confidence in God. And the result was he had life. And likewise, it is in knowing God, knowing the word Jesus Christ, that we too have hope and life, despite the tribulation despite the suffering that you're going through. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we cry out to you this evening. Uh, Many of us are going through different trials and difficulties. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are the God who hears us. We thank you that you are not a weak God, but you are powerful, and that in you there is life. Help us to go to your word for comfort. Help us to see how the word points to Jesus Christ, and that it is in him that we have his loving kindness. We have this grace. And so remind us, even this week, that we have hope in whatever it is that we are going through. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn your blue soundbook to Psalm sixteen D. Psalm sixteen D. The psalm speaks of the trust.